Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. As Cash said, we are back in Matthew. I'm excited for it. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, today, we are jumping in. You know, a lot of uh, what we've been talking about so far has been that uh, Jesus is talking to people, and then Matthew records it. That was the Sermon on the Mount, so we get to hear what Jesus says, and now we actually get to hear what Jesus does, and he really opens with a bang, right? He starts healing folks like mad, right? I, I, like, when I was first reading this, I had, like, the Jerry Seinfeld voice pop into my head, which is, like, always. I mean, honestly, it's like a running, you know, kind of dialogue that's going on. He's like, what's the deal with all this healing, right? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Does he have some sort of licensure to do this? What's his insurance practice going on, right? Anyway, that's a kind of dumb way to intro this entire thing. But I think it's the question that we have to ask, like, what is going on here? And so, uh, before we really, 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 really dive into this today, before we really get into the nitty-gritty of each and every one of these healings, I want to just talk about, like, healing in general. What is it? What's going on there? I'm not trying to make some sort of, like, grand theological treatise on this. I want to just actually take a second and ask what this is. Uh, the first thing that I believe about healing, in, as, as we see it here in this passage, is this is something that I believe legitimately happened. Now, I know that's kind of like a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're like a skeptic like me, uh, but it seems like there's enough historical evidence, if nothing else, to sort of suggest that this was actually something real. It'd be very difficult for this to be like a collective illusion or, you know, just some sort of like scam. I mean, here just in the Bible, we have four books devoted uh, to the story of Jesus, to capturing this whole storyline. We have uh, the entire rest of the New Testament that is sort of springboarded after this actually happened. Like, I want you to just sort of think through even sort of the critique of like, well, I, I don't know healing. That sounds a little suspicious. Think through just exactly how many people had to sort of sign off on this living in Jesus' time to say, hey, this actually happened. And try and imagine the sort of like collective conspiracy it would have taken if this was just like some guy who was like a little bit of a nice guy and people want to make a big deal out of him. I think it seems like a stretch. In fact, we have 26 occasions captured in the gospel of Jesus healing people. And very often, they even happen as, a, as an aside. It's like Jesus was hanging out. He's talking to these people. Oh, and also, by the way, he healed a bunch of people. I believe they weren't that hard either. Not for Jesus. Think about it. This is true. This is the guy that, like, rules all of physics. He wrote the laws that we sort of have to operate by. So why doesn't it make sense that he also could break those laws? In fact, C.S. Lewis has this book called On Miracles. And if you're like confused about Jesus doing things that are supernatural, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. And his entire argument is like, it's astounding how small of a sample size that we will base our entire lives off of. That we're basically like, well, I've never seen a miracle, so there's no way that they could possibly happen. Or we'll even say, hey, I have collected all of this data, all of this knowledge, all of this scientific information to say, like, this is how the world operates. And so because of that, I'm not going to believe that something like this happened. When really, if we're to buy any of this, first premise being that there is a God of the universe and he's more in control than we are. We have to also understand that he wrote the rules that govern our universe and that he can bend, change, or break them at any moment. I mean, think about it. 
He's the one that put all of this together. In fact, the rules that sort of govern our universe, the same ones that cause flowers to grow and gravity to happen, are basically happening at his will. They are happening under his good pleasure. They are happening to fulfill his promise and plan for out the, throughout the entire universe. So why would it be any different when Jesus does something that we would call miraculous? So I don't want us to think about it as unnatural, but rather supernatural in the truest sense of the word, that these things that happen are above, they are greater, they are more. In the same way that Superman is more than just a man, supernatural things are more. Miracles are nature, but actually better. And I hope that this provides some sort of solace to those of us, I think, that are skeptical. That basically Jesus here in these occasions where he does something miraculous is just making nature do what nature always does, obey the will of God. So that the sunrise this morning and the centurion's servant were governed by the exact same God that was making both of them happen for his good plan and his will. So if you want to know what I believe, I believe that Jesus actually healed these people and that he has that exact same power in our lives today. So the important question then that we have to ask is, why is Matthew telling us about these things? Why do we need to know about these healings? Here, Matthew clearly is telling us something important about Jesus. He just shared everything that Jesus was saying, and now he is telling us what he is doing. It's no longer Jesus giving like a discourse. Now it is slipping into narrative. And so because of that, we still have to ask, like, why is Matthew going out of his way to put these three stories right next to each other and tell us about Jesus healing people? So here's what we're going to do for the rest of the time today. We're going to take each of these stories one by one. We're not just going to ask the question, like, what was that about? We're actually going to ask the question, what does this tell us about Jesus? The first point, and I don't know if this is, uh, you know, heretical or not, but we're just going to throw it up there. Jesus is so cool, he doesn't have to make a big deal about it. Jesus is a cool guy. Matt's smiling at me. This feels like a Matt kind of point, right? Like, Jesus is a cool guy, man. He doesn't even have to make a big deal about it. Check that out. We're going to see it in the, uh, in the first passage here. It says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. But Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof uh, to them. This is my personal favorite. Jesus is such a baller here. He opens up with some, like, uh, some witty repartee, right? The guy's like, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. You know, he's kind of got that Clint Eastwood vibes, you know. He's like, I will be clean. Like he doesn't have to say much and he's still kind of intimidating, right? Uh, he says, I will be clean. He doesn't need to say much else more. Here, what else is cool here is that it actually says that Jesus reached out and touched the man, which may not seem all that significant if you're not familiar with leprosy. But leprosy is a highly transmissible disease. It was kind of like the scourge of the ancient world. These people had to live completely separate from everyone else. In fact, if you think about it, this may be the first time that this man had been touched by another human being in years. Years. I mean, who knows? He could have even gotten leprosy as a child or even at birth. This could have been some of the only true human contact this individual had ever actually had. And when Jesus comes up and does the I will be clean, you know, he combines the, like, you know, simplicity and directness of Clint Eastwood with just the humanizing touch to this man to be able to say, hey, I'm not afraid of this. In fact, I am bigger and I am better than this. I will do this and you can be clean. 
And then he says, say nothing to anyone, but go ahead and do the cleanliness ritual with the priest. Now, this is very different than Josh uh, would do it if, if I were the Messiah. Josh Christ, I think, is how you would say No, that's not right. I shouldn't. That's not right. Uh, if I was Jesus, though, I think I would be like, hey, go and tell everybody else. I just healed you, right? It's funny to think about this, too, right? Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, that, like, in the hundred years after his death, the church would explode to the four corners of the known world at the time, right? That Christianity would just, like, go nuts, and here Jesus, you know, no marketing tactic whatsoever, no sort of knowledge of saying, like, hey, we got to get this word out. He just says, tell no one. Because that's not who he is, and it isn't in keeping with how he told us to live. Think about this. This is really cool that Jesus actually just a little while before this, right when he was on the mountain giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew 6, chapter 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is so cool. He says this, and then he actually does it. He does something better than any of us, more righteous, more better, more good than anything that we could possibly do, and he doesn't tell anybody about it. In fact, he tells the guy that he just healed, hey, don't go and tell anybody about this. Now, I'm getting the sense just from watching you guys. You don't think this is cool as I think it is cool, all right? I think this is pretty cool and pretty understated. It's also directly opposite of the way that our world lives, right? Uh... I had to learn, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now, what do you call it, like an elder millennial or something like that, feeling old. I'm already out of date, right? I had to learn from the Gen Zs that there's YouTubers out there, right, people that make their living. One of them's called Mr. Beast. He makes a lot of people's living off of uh, his YouTube channel, right? This guy is like a multimillionaire, and he got his start by doing this very strange thing, and I can't decide if I absolutely love it or I think it's the most disdainful thing on the planet. He got his start by actually, like, popping up. He'll find somebody, just random person on the street, and give them $1,000, and then, like, you know, somebody's filming him, and he'll chuckle and run away. Like, it's, like, the weirdest freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but it's, like, kind of sweet, and you're like, man, that, that's pretty nifty. But isn't there like a trigger in your head immediately that's like, what's going on here? Like, is this a, that could be an actor. That could not be real money. In fact, I found out he had one episode where he like made a fake bank and gave away a bunch of money and then found out later that it was actually fake money that he was giving away. And he was like, no, 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 we gave the people a check afterwards. It counted. It was very, very strange, right? But you get like naturally suspicious when somebody does something and they want everybody to know about it. Jesus here does the exact opposite. He said, I've just done the most amazing thing, and I want you to tell no one about it. It makes him more trustworthy, right? It's encouraging to know that Jesus doesn't make a big deal out of it. Jesus wasn't putting it on an act. He wasn't doing it so that people would see him healing people. He did it because he loved this man. He cared for him. He reached out and touches him and heals him and then says, hey, you don't have to tell anyone about this. Story number two, Jesus is moved by faith. Verse 5 says, when he, entered, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is, paralyzed, is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. And I want you to think about how strange this is. So this is another instance where like, not having the cultural ideas uh, that were present of the day makes it hard for us to understand. 
centurion was a Roman soldier. Jesus was a Jew living in Israel. Romans were actually the occupying force. They were a part of a long line of people who had conquered the Israelites, and they were the ones that were like currently in charge. The Israelites were living as natives, and yet there were other people who were in charge of them. So for a centurion, a Roman soldier, to walk up to a Jewish man, maybe he's gained some notoriety now, maybe he knew who he was, but still, for him to walk up to a Jewish man and ask for help is a astoundingly strange, right? Like, it would be like Nazis in, in occupied France being like, hey, can you tell us where the croissant factory is? I don't know. I can't do a Nazi voice. I'm sorry. But it's that kind of vibe, right? Like, why in the world would you think that these people would want to help you? You were the occupier here. Think of the state that the centurion must have been in. He obviously cared a lot about his servant. Think about the thought process that would lead you to say, if you're a centurion, like, I don't need all that Rome can offer me. I'm actually going to go to this random Jewish healer. I'm going to bust up into this group of Jews and ask them for help with my servant. And not only does he ask for help, but he's actually better at asking for help than the other Jewish people were. Verse 8 says, But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found with such faith. Man, what a weird slap in the face that is. No one in Israel have I found with such faith. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, Jewish people, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus lets the guy know, and he lets everybody in the circle know that he believes in Jesus more than they do. And he takes it a step further to say, hey, you know, your father Abraham that you sing, like, the song about the many sons with, like, this guy's going to be sitting with that guy at the table, and you might not be. It's wild that Jesus was so moved by his faith. Jesus wasn't moved by his power. Jesus wasn't moved by his position. Jesus wasn't moved by even like his righteousness, all the good deeds that he could do. He was moved by his faith. And I like that idea. I like the idea that like faith is something that like kind of, I don't know, we were struggling with this word even at like sermon meetings, we were prepping for this like, Is it what moves Jesus? Is it what impresses Jesus? It feels weird to say those things. Moves sound like we're making Jesus do what we want him to do, which is not how the world works. Uh, Impresses sounds like, you know, Jesus is like this overlord. We're like bringing him little gifts and trying to impress him. So it's, it's not quite those words. I'm not really sure what the appropriate word is. But somehow Jesus here reacts differently and sort of loves this man, highlights this man, shows how special this man is because of his faith. And what I love about that so much is that it doesn't cost anything. 
Like, there's no righteousness attached to this. It's not like there are good people and bad people who can have more or less faith. Like, instead, all it sort of requires is a willingness to actually trust that Jesus is who he says he is. You don't have to know how to read the New Testament in Greek to have faith. You don't have to have been a Christian for 30 years to have faith. In fact, for some of us, that can actually even get in the way. In fact, all it takes is to walk up to Jesus and say, hey, I trust that you are who you say you are, and I believe that you can do something so crazy as healing. I believe in you. I trust you at your word, and I live accordingly. I often ask myself this question, how would I live if I truly believed Jesus? The centurion doesn't have to ask himself that question. He showed it to everyone right in front of him. He's like, if I believe who, this guy is who he is, this is how I would act. And I often ask myself that because sometimes I get scared. Sometimes I get worried. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even, like, living the life that Jesus wants me to live. Sometimes I kind of live out of, like, this weird half-belief, you know. Um, I'm kind of haunted by this fact, too. Uh, they've done studies about children who grow up to have the same faith as their parents. Children, you know, if they come from Christian parents, will they grow up to be Christians when they grow up? And they've done a bunch of studies, and uh, they've seen that there are some things that might move the needle a little bit but not have really significant impact. So did they have a good youth group? That might be good. Did they go to a Christian school? Who knows? These, are, these things are all kind of like, you know nebulous kind of like factors. The one factor that they've taken away to say like concretely above and beyond everything else that parents could possibly do to transfer the faith onto their family is actually living out the faith in front of them. The children are much more likely to grow up and follow Jesus if they saw their parents actually living that faith out in front of them. Not in, not in word only, not that their parents were religious, but they actually saw that faith. And I think about that a lot. I wonder if Evie is actually seeing me to be like a person of faith. I wonder if there is an actual connection between the God of David and the God of Paul and the God of her dad. Like are all those crazy stories that we read to her at night before bed, does her dad act like he is following the same God as that? Does her dad act like he believes the same way that they believe? Man, that is a faith, that is a faith that I think would move the heart of Jesus. And I think it's the man that I want to be. Story number three, <clears throat> Jesus comes alongside us. Verse 14 says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought with that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I like it that these last two examples are kind of catch-alls, right? Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and immediately she went up and made him a sandwich. That's a weird one to me. I don't really know what to do that. I mean, it, 
You don't ever want to question Jesus' motives, but it sounds like he was hungry and he was like, all right, uh, I know you're sick. Let's fix that so we can get back to work here. It's very strange. That's a really dark way to look at it. I think it's actually a beautiful thing and probably a good statement on Peter's mother-in-law that she was like, I was sick, but now I got to be host, right? So she hops up and she serves Jesus. And then it just says this weird catch-all. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Now, I promise this is not a joke, uh, but I'm not going to talk about demons today because we are literally talking about that the day before Halloween. Ooh, spooky, right? October 30th. You don't want to miss it. Big demon sermon then, okay? So it's going to get weird. I'm going to ignore this today, but I'm saying it's coming. So if you have questions about demons, uh, bring them then. If you want to dress up to be prepared for that day, I suppose that's an option. Anyway, then it ends with a quote, right? The last, pass, or last part says, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases by the prophet Isaiah. This is actually from Isaiah chapter 53. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Matthew here is reminding us that Jesus fulfills, name of the series, right, fulfills the Old Testament scripture, that the prophecy were actually about him. That when Isaiah was talking to the people of Israel and saying one day someone would come along and bear your burdens, one day his wounds would actually heal you, he is referencing Jesus. Matthew says it this way, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases, and Isaiah says it this way, surely he, bore, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, for you Bible nerds in the room, this is two separate passages, one from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in Isaiah, he's actually speaking in Hebrew, and then we translate that into English, and in the New Testament, it's actually written in Greek, and then we translate that into English, so that might sort of account for why these are like sort of slightly different. But I actually went back and looked it up, and I was thinking, like, what would Matthew have been thinking when he's thinking about this Isaiah passage, right? So first, he uses the verb born. It means to lift a heavy load. He bore our uh, griefs and sorrows. Carried is sort of in the sense of like transporting something heavy, like uh, something that you're like heavy laden down or even with you, if you will. Uh, it was the same word that you might have used for someone who is pregnant, which if you think about what we kind of do today, right? Like people talk about how they carry. Apparently this is like a thing to women who have been pregnant. We were like just at the like uh, at a restaurant the other day and Sarah like looks over and she's like, that lady's carrying low. She's going to have that baby soon. I'm like, are you some sort of wizard? Like what are you talking about? And how do you, you don't even know how tall this woman is. Like, what are you, I mean, like, what are you talking about carrying low? Like, it seems like a relative position. But people apparently can see this. So, carrying is a word uh, there that is used like pregnant. You could actually take this and say, Jesus is carrying our griefs and is pregnant with our sorrows. I don't know if you like that or you don't like that, but I find it fascinating. Back to the New Testament. Bore here again is basically the same word. It means to carry something heavy. It's an interesting note there that, like, heaviness is sort of implied in it. Like, you wouldn't say that you, like, bore a grocery bag. But instead, like, throwing something heavy, like you're bearing a, like, sack of potatoes or something like that. You're, like, throwing that up over your shoulder. I think the most fascinating word, though, of this entire thing is actually the word took. Matthew says he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It's actually the word lambano, and it more means to undergo as like an undertaking. 
like you take something on. In Hebrews 11.36, it says that some took whippings and beatings. So don't think of take as in like you take a piece of paper, but think of like something that you have taken on yourself, an undertaking, something that you have gone about. And that is how Matthew describes what Jesus was doing with these healings. It says that Jesus undertook our illnesses. He took them on himself and carried them. He bore them. He took them on as if they were heavy and put them on himself. I feel like that changes everything that we think about healing when it comes to Jesus, right? This is not some, like, you know, Hermione Granger, like, Oculus Reparo, and then he just, like, slaps his hands and walks away. This is not some wave of the magic wand, like, boom, you're healed. This is not even some sort of, like, faith healer on TV smacking people in the forehead and then, you know, everybody busting out in applause. Somehow, at some level, when Jesus is healing people, he is taking that on to himself. Now, I don't mean to imply that Jesus, like, got sick every time that he made somebody not. I don't think when he healed the guy of leprosy instantly, he had leprosy. I don't think that that's necessarily how it works. But at some sort of, like, cosmic level here, what he is doing is not just getting rid of something from us, but he's actually putting it on himself. And I think that truth is actually so much better that he isn't just fixing us, but he's actually taking his, our mess upon himself. This is starkly different than what we even think of people that sort of heal us today, right? A doctor has this very comfortable distance, right? And their methods and practices, maybe doctors get more sick than the rest of us, but like still their methods and practices to make sure that you don't get sick, Even counselors, sort of healers of our hearts and minds, they have this sort of like, you know, patient, caregiver kind of distance that they have to keep, right? And it's important for their job and they need to do that. But I just want to highlight that that is not at all how Jesus goes about healing people. He gets in there with us. He is the friend that when you're hurt puts your own arm over their shoulder. He is the Sam carrying Frodo. He's the Olympic athlete that gets tripped by another athlete and then ends up picking that athlete up and walking across the finish line so that they can both make it together. That is the type of healing that Jesus does. That He actually takes our illnesses, he takes our griefs, he takes our sorrows, he takes our diseases, he takes our brokenness and puts it on himself and walks us across the finish line. Odds are that you have some sort of illness within you. I'm not calling you all sick. I'm sorry if that feels that way. But odds are you have something inside of you that's broken. Maybe it is something that's physical. You know, maybe you're struggling with like a lifelong disease. It's astounding the older and older I get. I don't know if the people I get are getting older too, but it's astounding how many of us are, are sort of like stuck with these things that we're going to live with forever. Maybe you have some sort of sorrow or grief that is just living inside of you, and you're asking yourself the question, man, is it even possible to be healed from this? I don't even know, and I don't want to pretend to know what you're carrying around. 
If you're anything like me, I feel like, you know, you're constantly walking through life with just sort of this roller bag behind you, carrying all of these things, and just sort of under the assumption many, ta- many days that that is just how life works, that the actual, you know, main point of life, the goal of life is just to carry it as best you can, to get through, to make it to the end. And can I say that the Jesus that we see here in the book of Matthew, the Jesus that I want to have full and complete faith and belief in, says that he comes alongside us and he actually wants to carry those things. He actually wants to heal you of those things and carry them himself. Now, look, I'm not promising some sort of like pie in the sky, like if you can just believe enough, then instantly you'll be healed from every problem that you have. That's not how Jesus works, right? He didn't wave his hand and heal every single person in Israel. But in his good timing and in his good plan, he did heal some. And I believe for even for us that are not going to be healed instantly, that he is still one who comes alongside us and carries our sorrows, carries our illnesses with him. And in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has actually promised to you that one day all of your illnesses, all of your sickness, all of your brokenness will be completely, totally, and irrevocably healed forever. So even if you don't experience that immediate healing that we all sort of desire in our lives, he is still coming alongside you to carry that burden with you and to heal you of that disease. I think sometimes in our selfishness, sometimes in maybe our pride, we just, we desire this magic wand kind of Jesus, right? He said, Jesus, can you just snap your fingers and get me through this? Can you get this over with? Can you get this done? And I think if you really think about it, like really, really chew on it for any amount of time, you know that this Jesus that comes alongside us, while it might not be the Jesus that we want in that moment we're experiencing pain, is actually the Jesus that we need so much more. The Jesus that is willing to undertake our own messiness, our own brokenness, our own frailties. And at the end of the day, isn't that what he did on the cross? Like we often frame Jesus' death on the cross. If you've been in church for very long, then you, you know like the, the sort of standard line is that he took our sins and died for them on the cross. And that's exactly what he did. But in so doing, he also destroyed evil forever. Now, it doesn't start the moment that he died on the cross, right? We're waiting for him to come back again and then actually set everything to rights forever. But that was part of the action that he accomplished by dying on the cross, which means that as he is carrying that cross up the hill towards his own death, he is also carrying all of our brokenness, all of the evil, all of the terrible things that we have done to others, all of the terrible things that have been done to us, and all of the ways in which our bodies even are frail and broken, all of the ways that all the harmful things that the world has done to us that has caused brokenness deep within us. He is carrying that, carrying that for you and for me, on his back, on the cross. They nail him to it, stand it up in the ground. And over the next few hours, he would slowly and excruciatingly painfully die. 
And in dying, he takes all of that brokenness with him. He takes all of that evil along with him. So that you and I might be healed, whether in this world or the next. My question to you is if you think that that's appealing, if you want this Jesus in your life, And the question is, do you, like the centurion, believe it? Do you have that type of faith? You can walk up to Jesus and say, God, this is out of my control. This is out of my frame of reference. I can't do anything about this. I am offering it completely to you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you are even bigger than this issue. It doesn't matter how long I've been struggling with it. It doesn't matter how long... You have been dealing with this thing. It doesn't matter how many human beings have told you that it's impossible to ever be healed from this. Faith, faith that moves Jesus is the faith where we bring this to him and say, God, do with it what you will. If that means that I need to carry this a little bit further, then I will carry it, knowing that you are by my side. And if it means that right now in this very moment that you can and will heal me from it, God, I am trusting you to do that as well. And maybe for some of us, you haven't done that with, like, your entire life yet. Like, some of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe it's like a a checkup in your brain. Am I actually offering these things? I want to be healed to Jesus. But Jesus actually comes so that our entire lives would be healed. That, in fact, accepting the good gift of the gospel, which is recognizing and accepting and believing that he took our place on the cross and died for our sins, is actually accepting that gift in that moment. And you have every opportunity in the world to do that right now, in this moment, today. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.